And so we read God's word out of Acts chapter 13. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? This is what the word of God says in Acts chapter 13. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But, but God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people, we tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, He has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. And we skip down a few verses, just a few verses later, in front of a culturally and ethnically diverse crowd, Paul explains exactly what he himself had experienced of Jesus. We read in verses 38 and 39. Words that have been changing lives for thousands of years. Here's what it says. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. And this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, this, this is it. This, this is what it's all about. If what we've been celebrating here all morning never happened, there's no reason even to be in church today. There's no reason to have this church. There's no reason to have any Christian church anywhere in the world if this did not happen. But, but in fact, we have come together uh, because this is what we believe, that God's Son actually was born into this world, that He and He alone lived the life that we're created to live, but none of us has lived that way. He alone lived without sin. And then He died in our place so that we don't have to, but defeated our sin, and he defeated death itself by a resurrection so that all who believe in him have hope, hope for the future. We have hope to offer our sin-filled, mercy-needing, sickness-ravaged, death-plundered world because this really happened. Uh, if it didn't happen, um, let me see, we'd probably just have advice, you know, advice to give. It's like Tim Keller said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. So all of this is to say, this is a good day to be in church. 
Um, for those of us who go to church all the time, we talk about all sorts of things in, in the church because we believe the Bible speaks to every part of our lives. But today when we come to church, on Easter when we come to church, we talk about the most basic thing that we believe. And what I pray will happen is we'll recommit ourselves to it and we will go from this place knowing that resurrection power is real and that our lives can be different. I hope that recommitment is made today. Now for those of you who don't go to church all that often, this is a great day to go to church. And I'll tell you why. Because we, we talk today about what it's all about. It's what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is futile. But, but then he, he throws in there at the end, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Now, I'll tell you, I've, I've preached a lot of Easter sermons, but I'm especially thrilled, can you tell, I'm especially thrilled <laughs> about this one, uh, partly because my dad is here with me this morning on this front row, sitting next to Tom. I, that, uh, I didn't know if you were ever going to be able to be here again, and especially for an Easter Sunday. Let me just tell you something about my dad. Um, when he came back to the Lord or came to the Lord, I, w- I was five or six years old when it happened. And ever since that time, he has never lost the wonder of a God who loves him and who is changing his life. Other people who go to church, ho-hum, you have never lost that. Every time that the good news of Jesus is preached, when, when someone has preached, I've watched him since I was a child, when the good news about God is preached, that God loves the world so much, that he sent his one and only son who loves us so much, Jesus loves us so much that he gave his life and defeated death through his resurrection and offers to all, regardless of our background, offers to all forgiveness and eternal life. That comes only through faith in Jesus. Every time that's preached, Dad, you have radiated with joy. And so, so today we're just going to join you in that joy because that's what I'm going to preach about. All right? Because that's what Easter is all about. So this Easter, 2014, I'm going to go back to the very beginning. Uh, to the first sermon that the Apostle Paul ever preached. At least it's the first one we have. And it's found in the text that uh, Jeff read to us, uh, Acts chapter 13. So if you've brought a Bible, you can turn there. The sermon runs all the way from like verse 16 to verse uh, 41. Uh, as, as Jeff mentioned, uh, Paul was speaking to a group of people who were not Christians. And he wanted to explain to them what the very basic things are that, that the Christian faith is all about. So I think this is a good thing to think about on Easter, don't you? So what did he say? What did he say? Number one, as you look at the first part of the sermon, running up to about verse 22, he, he simply says, there is a God. There is a God. God is. And, and he goes on, God is personal, God is present, and especially God is at work in the world. Now, most human beings have always believed that there has to be something real in this world just beyond ourselves. And so people have often been on a search for God. As Gita was giving her testimony, she, she was one of those, and I think that's true of all of us. Internally, we, we know that there must be something real that goes beyond this material world so that you find a world searching for spiritual, a divine reality. And it's taken many, many different directions over the centuries. Uh, many different groups... Have, have sort of thought that God is made up of everything in the world, that everything somehow is divine. It's called pantheism. P 
Japan, all things, theism are God. Uh, others have said, no, 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 no. There has to be a God distinct from us and, and from the world. But th- there can't just be one. And, and throughout centuries, there have been many who have believed in many gods. And it's come back into our world, too. You can believe in whatever God you want. You just, just pick them out. And, and that's polytheism. Many gods. At, at the beginning part of our own world, uh, of our own country, uh, one of the dominant ideas that many of our forefathers had was the idea that, that there is indeed one God, but he's distant from the world somehow. It, it was called deism. So here you come to church on Easter. What kind of God do we believe in? Well, let me just tell you this. When you open up the Bible, it opens up basically in Genesis chapter 1 with God declaring, I am. I am here. And I am not a part of what is. I make everything that is. And then in chapter 2, he tells us that he is ready to walk and talk with human beings. Now, when you come to, you're going to hear us saying the very similar things to what the Apostle Paul said. And the main point that he made in his first sermon was that this God who made everything, the creator of heaven and earth, is actually involved in every day of history. I'll just walk you through it really, really briefly. In verse 17 of his sermon, he said, when everybody had walked away from God, Genesis 3, God chose, he was going to rescue us because he loves the world. He chose one people, the people of Israel, from among all people. He chose it for a special purpose through whom he would send a rescuer. He, God, God then made those, those people, the people of Israel, great and, and protected them while they were in Egypt. And then he rescued them out of Egypt. You probably know that, that great, great story. Then as you go on down, God was also involved in, in verse 21, giving to Israel her first king. And it was a man named Saul. And then God also removed Saul, getting closer to, to Easter. In verse 22, God was involved in the world, raising up a man named David, a boy. He was an unlikely king, I'm telling you. He, Dwayne, he was a songwriter, played a harp. We could have had him up here playing. Um, he was good with slingshot. Unlikely king, but God was involved and drew him in and raised him up to be king and removed Saul. Then through his line, God sent prophets saying through his line, through David's line, a rescuer, a Messiah, a Savior is going to come. And in verse 23, God sent this Savior. And it's not as though, like Star Wars, that the God we believe in, that God is sort of an impersonal force, sort of shaping history, No, 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 no. God is actually involved in history. Jesus came. God sent prophets saying you'll be able to recognize him because of these different things. In other words, God had said it's going to happen and this is how you can recognize him. Now, I could go on and on about this. You can tell that, can't you? But I think you get the point that the Bible is declaring to you God is real. And he's not just out there. He is present and you can know him. And God is at work in history and when you begin to realize that that's what we believe in a church like this then some of the things we do as Christians begin making sense to you like the fact that we pray because we believe that God is really here and can do things because he made everything so we can bring everything to him and like even when we pray for things and we don't get exactly what we want we we can pull back and and even when it's really hard we can say but God is, is at work I've seen him at work He's doing more than I can see, and we learn to trust him. And that's what the Apostle Paul wanted everyone to see. And actually, he wrote about it because he'd experienced that. 
He had been killing Christians. God broke into his life. Jesus met him as he was going to persecute Christian people. And he wanted you to know that he does that. God is here and you can meet him. And and I'll just tell you, even though I am a pastor, and so you say, well, of course, you've got to talk about those things. That's your job. Uh, This has been my experience with God too. And I just want to tell you on Easter Sunday, there is a God. He is great. He is glorious. You can know him. You can learn to count on him. He he can come into your life and begin to change you because he is active and involved in history. In fact, the Bible's message is when you get to the end of it that when God is finished with his work in history, everything's going to be right. Everything's going to be good again. Those broken relationships that all of us have, they're going to be reconciled. Uh, Evil, it's it's going to be gone. Uh, Sickness, so many of us experience that. It's going to be vanquished and death will be no more. I'm just going to tell you, if you're going to understand what the Christian faith is all about, you've just got to begin there with this thing about this wonderful God. He is real. He is here. The same God is here this morning. And He is ready and willing and even anxious to enter into your life and change you today. Second point. The center of the work of God in history is all focused on Jesus. That's what we're about here. Often you get these religions, Christianity. But really, it's all about Jesus. It's who he is, what he said, what he did. And in Paul's sermon, if you begin looking at verse 24, he says, now looking back to all those great prophets, they weren't the thing that the whole world was pointing toward. And when you get to the one who was closest to Jesus, John the Baptist, John the Baptist himself said, it's not about me. I'm not the one who came to rescue you. And do you remember what John the Baptist said if you've been to church usually at Christmas time? (laughs) He says, no, it's not me. He pointed to Jesus and he said, behold, he is the Lamb of God. He's the one who takes away the sins of the world. So you see, one of the points you've got to grasp about the Christian faith is that all followers of Jesus have always believed that it really happened. That it really happened. Other religions can have their religion without it being involved in history. Uh, other religions often have religious techniques or rituals that you've got to be involved in. That, that's not the Christian faith. Uh, other religions have certain religious insights that you've got to have. But, but the Christian faith is all about a person. It is all about Jesus. And, and, and that's why I wanted Dr. Gita Govahi to, to give you a testimony, Gita. Um, when she was baptized eight days ago, uh, Gita walked into the baptistry and, and said this. It was so powerful. She said, I am now very sure that everything that has happened in my life has worked to bring me to this moment in time right here as I stand before you. See, that brings home what I said. That God is at work. We call it providence. God is at work drawing people to himself, working in our lives. And then when we thought about what then actually brought her into a relationship with God, she began to say, I was in my 20s when I started feeling that Jesus is very close to God, perhaps closer than anyone else. That was five years ago, right, uh, uh, Gita? You see, it's this beautiful thing that I want to talk to you about so much. It is is the beauty of the person of Jesus, who he was, what he taught, what he did, that is the thing that always draws us in. 
And with that in mind, when you look at, at, at Paul's first sermon, you'll see in verses 32 to 36, he cites many of the prophecies uh, out of his, that, uh, that came from prophets long before Jesus was born. And he said, but really all of them were pointing to one central point in what God is doing in, in this world. They all point to Jesus and the rest of history is pointing to what Jesus is going to complete when his work is done. Jesus really came, he really lived, he really died, and he truly rose again. It's a fact of history. So that Paul would say, on the basis of this, you know this, he said to the people listening to him, Jesus has walked with us, he has appeared, in verse 31, to many people over many days. In fact, um, the record shows that Jesus appeared to 500 people there in and around Jerusalem on the days after his resurrection. People saw him, and that's why people who one day were terrorized, hiding back in this room because Jesus had died on the cross, they met him, and they were out telling everybody there would be no church if the resurrection had not happened. Now, all of this came to the fore when many people were coming to faith in Jesus in Jerusalem, and Paul was seized, and he was taken before two big political powers, uh, the governor of the whole region named Festus, and the local king, King Agrippa. And, and he, he was telling this story. Just, he was telling what I'm telling you. A man that all of us saw crucified one day. Several days later, we saw him walking around and speaking to us. And Governor Festus said, Paul, a dead man walking around again, Paul, all of your great learning has driven you crazy. Because Paul was one of the best educated men of his day. So that beware Caltech students and Fuller students. <laughs> he said, Paul, all of your learning is just, has uh, driven you crazy. And Paul said, no, 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 no. Ask our local king, King Agrippa. I, I can talk with him about this because he knows that there are many testimonies to the fact that people who saw Jesus crucified on the cross then saw him talking with people. They were witnesses to it. And he said, the king is familiar with these things. So I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this, talking about Jesus, the resurrected Jesus appearing, has escaped his notice because it wasn't done in a corner. The thing you have to realize, this was written just like 15 years after it had happened, so the witnesses were still there. The witnesses were still there when all of this took place. Now, Lee Strobel, uh, a Yale-educated journalist um, at the Chicago Tribune, I have to tell a Chicago story, um, was an atheist until something happened in his home. His wife became a Christian. So that started him on this research project. I think he was trying to prove that it was all bogus. Now what he did was, as he was reading the life of Jesus, he began to see what Gita saw, the beauty of Jesus. That, it, that if, if, if there is a God, he has to be like this. Then he began looking at the claims of Jesus and found them to be strong. In fact, this matter of these 500 witnesses, he decided he would go to a psychologist friend. And in a, in a book, and we're giving it to first-time visitors, we're, we have a gift packet for you when you leave, and in it is, is one of, uh, of uh, Lee Strobel's books. And in the case of Easter, he said this, I went to a psychologist friend and said, if 500 people claimed to see Jesus after he died, uh, could it have been a hallucination? And he said... A hallucination is an individual event. If 500 people have the same hallucination, that's as big a miracle as the resurrection. 
So, if you want to understand the Christian faith today, first, there is a God and He is to be known. Second, to get to know God, you'll find Him through Jesus. So what I want to encourage you to do is to read about the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. Read about Jesus. Read what he taught, and you'll find so much wisdom there. Read how he lived, and I think you too will say, yes, that's, that's the way life is supposed to be, and especially today, read what he did. He rose from the dead. Last point. We're called to believe in him and to follow him. And there's a promise, of, I call it the promise of Easter faith. And that promise is a deep inner fulfillment of all we are made for. See, you and I are human. We're made in God's image. You and I are made not to live for temporary things, but we're made to know God. So what kind of fulfillment am I talking about? Did I, ask yourself when I mention these things, do, do I have a longing for this? One, that there is injustice all around me. And so many times I call it, there is a longing inside of our hearts for this world to be made right. There are so many things that have happened during my lifetime that just seem to be so senseless and unjust. Can you think of things like that? I mean, genocides uh, in Cambodia, Rwanda. Uh, this coming week, we'll remember the, the genocide in Armenia. More recently in our own country, did you know 44 different school shootings in 24 different states since the Sandy Hook elementary tragedy in Newtown? Did you know that? That's not right. And in our own church, we have these beautiful people, Matthew and Grace Wong, who are still unjustly imprisoned in Qatar. I mean, don't you have times in your life when you read the paper, you look around and you say, those things aren't right. That ought not to be. That evil can't go unpunished. They're getting away with murder. Don't... Am I the only one? We all have this deep sense that things ought to be differently. Now, so much so that, that we work hard as human beings to try to deal with injustice. In our families, parents, good parents, try to deal with the things that are wrong in our families when our kids misbehave, right? Teachers, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, when, when things go wrong, we, we try to make sure that we uh, uh, apply appropriate discipline. Uh, lawyers, judges, we have a lot in our church. Um, no lawyer jokes today, I'll, I'll just tell you. Uh, but I, I appreciate so much the pursuit of justice through the courts. But as much as we pursue it, we, we fall short. Uh, people get away with murder in our world. And sometimes we think, is there any justice to be found? If this life is all there is... It is an unjust world. And this is where Easter faith steps in, where God declares to us, this world is not all there is. This life is not all there is. There is a life beyond this one. And I promise you this, that those human systems will fail. I am who I am, a just God. I will punish evil. I will make sure that justice reigns. And if you say, how can anybody make everything right? We look at Easter Jesus' resurrection is the evidence that God is greater than any evil in this world, even death, and He promises that eternity will reveal His justice. Easter faith fulfills that longing in my breast. Uh, Second, and now I've got to get personal with you here, where there is imperfection inside of me. 
this deep longing that we have for certain things about us to be made right. Um, every human being who's honest, we all, including pastors, we all acknowledge there are things in our lives that are not what they should be. We often try to hide them from people around us. Most of us try to change them ourselves, right? We really work hard. I don't want to do that again. We know we should change and then we find out we cannot. We know we need forgiveness. Let let me just tell you something. God knows too. And Jesus' death on the cross is for you. And it is sufficient. And death and sin could not hold him. So because he is risen, there is a hope that everything in your past can be cleansed and the future can be made new. Because he is risen, when he says he can and will forgive you, he can and will. Uh, When he says that he can and will set you free from these things that you just feel like they bind you, he can and will. And when he says, I will change your life, he will. Beyond beyond that, I I just find that so many of us walk through the world trying to find happiness and and fulfillment in all sorts of things, usually trying to accumulate more things. If I had more of that stuff, I'll I'll be happier. Uh, Sometimes it's achievement. If I could complete that, I'll I'll be happy. Uh, Sometimes it's pleasure. If I could experience that, I'll be happy. And then what happens is, because we go after these things, we get them, and we say, that's it? And then we say, I've got to have more of that stuff. And we just, it traps us. It's because that's not what we're made for. Those are wonderful parts of God's creation. They are terrible gods. We're made for something eternal in our souls. Cynthia Heimel, editorialist, wrote a wonderful editorial about this in the uh, Village uh, Voice. And uh, she was talking about celebrities. She mentioned names I will not. But listen to what she said. I pity celebrities. She said, I really do. The minute a person becomes a celebrity is the same minute he or she becomes a monster. Three well-known celebrities, I won't tell you. You'll look it up on there. Some of you are looking it up now. (laughs) Were once perfectly pleasant human beings with whom you might lunch on a slow Tuesday afternoon. The night each of them became famous, they wanted to shriek with relief. Finally, now they were adored. The morning after the night, each of them became famous. They wanted to take an overdose of barbiturates. All their fantasies had been realized, yet the reality was the same. If they were miserable before, they were twice as miserable now because that giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and haha, happiness, had happened. And nothing changed. They were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. What you and I have been made for is a life for God and it is found in Jesus. C.S. Lewis told Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien about this. And he said, what is this longing that I have within my heart? And in his mere Christianity he wrote this. So if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Tolkien knew this longing 
And he introduced Lewis to Jesus. And he found the fulfillment he was looking for. And so will you. Finally, there is death in this world. And you and I have a longing for life. Now, I know I'm looking around. We've got younger people here. You don't think much about death, do you? Um, the impact of it, it's ugliness. You don't think much about it. Let me just tell you something. You should. Uh, older guy, you should. Uh, once you've been where I am, you've lost a daughter to death. You've lost your only brother. You've lost friends close to you. You know how ugly death is. I look out here and there are many of us who will just tell you how awful death is. Jesus said, this does not belong in my world. And he took it, came and took it on. He alone is the one who absorbed it. And then took the sting away by defeating it through a resurrection. He alone can give you the assurance that this life is not all there is. All right. Back a number of years ago, I had the privilege of going to Japan and I met a wonderful Christian leader. His name was Andrew Furiyama. Uh, he'd been a major leader in Japan for many years, but at that time when I went to see him, he was on his deathbed. He was dealing with pancreatic cancer. He only had been given a few days uh, to live. And even though he was physically weak, I'm telling you, in other ways, he was fully alive. I went there to encourage him. He encouraged me. Brother Greg, he said, I want to assure you of the truthfulness of this gospel message that we have studied so much in our schools. I want to tell you that it is real. That is not the end of things. I am not afraid to die, Andrew said to me. Because I believe in Jesus and Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he die, he will live. And I believe in Jesus. That's powerful. I'll never forget it. Uh, just before I went to Japan, I had been spending that summer studying in Cambridge, England. And I, I watched a BBC the documentary called Sea of Faith, uh, done by a theologian named Don Cupid. He told the story at the, sort of the climax of this thing, of how when he was a young priest, he was forced as a young priest to go and visit a dying man in one of the local hospitals. And even though Cupid was a theologian and a priest, he was agnostic. So Cupid said that as he went into the hospital room, uh, the parishioner was obviously in his last hours. So as a priest, what do I do? He took out his religious book and he read the appropriate words and he prayed the prescribed prayers. But even before he was done, the man died. As he was going home, Cupid reported, I, I didn't suppose that my words had magically altered the eternal destiny of the man. Yet, I felt it had been worthwhile turning out. And I hoped that when my time came, someone would do the same for me. Here's the climax. I learned that day what religion is. That religion is the affirmation of human dignity in the face of an indifferent universe. An affirmation of human dignity in the face of an indifferent universe. I thought a long time about that. And even though it's eloquent, it left me empty. 
Is this all we have to offer to a hurting and dying world? An affirmation of my dignity? Let me tell you this, ask you this. If you are on your deathbed, which of these two pastors do you want to visit you? <laughs> Pastor Furiyama, Pastor Cupid. The answer is not a hard one for me. I want Furiyama to come and to remind me, Brother Greg, remember the one in whom you placed your faith, who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he die, he will live. And that is the message that Paul proclaims in his first sermon, and it is the one that I deliver to you today. We know that God is greater than any sin or failure in, in this world because Jesus himself bore the penalty and overcame it through his resurrection. You, you and I know that God is greater than any problem we face in this world because Jesus faced it, even death, and overcame it through his resurrection. In history, Jesus died and rose again. That's the message I proclaim to you this Easter 2014. Uh, I want you to know, when you leave this place, your family can be different. Your marriage can be different. Your future can be different. You can be different because He is risen. He is risen indeed. What you are called upon to do is to believe and follow Him. And I call upon you to do that. In your worship folder, Tom, if you have one, there we I found it. We wanted, Paul asked people to believe. So you can't go to church on Easter without some response. And I hope you'll take out this card. On the top it says Resurrection Sunday Celebration. I want us all to fill it out. Even if you put on here, nothing happened in my heart. Put, go ahead and put it there. But, but if you've come... Oh, I'll never forget last Easter, Gita, when you came through the door and, and, and you said, I'm in, I'm through, I, I, belong. I can't remember how you put it. I pray that this will happen for you. If you make a first-time commitment, as much as I believe, I believe, I want to follow Jesus. Put that. If you've come and your faith in Him has become cold and you just want to recommit to the resurrected Jesus, put it there. If you trust us enough, and I know that's a big thing, uh, put your contact information there. We'd love to be able to stay in touch with you. And then you will see, I, we don't want you to forget, at the bottom, it's perforated. You can take that off. It's a bookmark. I, I would encourage you to write a word or two that will remind you of whatever commitment it is that God would lead you to have. And as you leave today, we will have ushers at every door. And you can some and simply leave the larger one. Let us know what God has been saying. Take this home so that you will never forget it. And I will leave you with the very way that Paul ended his sermon. Here it is. God raised Jesus from the dead. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know. I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through Him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Thank you, Lord. It's to your glory. Amen. Amen.